Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. The Just Because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. The steak, egg, and cheese bagel is back at McDonald's. Order ahead on the app and pick up curbside. Price and participation may vary. McD app download and registration required. Welcome, here we go. It's that time again. Matt Connerton Unleashed, and we are live from the studios of WMNH 95.3 FM in glorious downtown Manchester, New Hampshire. Also on Comcast 97, if you happen to be in Manchester. And of course, hello to all of our online listeners from across the nation and around the globe. You can go to my website, mattconnerton.com, for all of your live streaming options, social media links, contact info, show archives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Today is a Tuesday, January 18, 2022. I do want to remind you before we get started that we are proudly sponsored by The Hop Knot in the Brady Sullivan at 1000 Elm Street, right across the street. Please do not go there today because Monday and Tuesday is their weekend, but they are open Wednesday through Sunday. They have an assortment of delicious gourmet pretzels and craft beer, and they've got trivia night every Thursday night hosted by the great Bill Cini, uh, live music on Friday nights, and uh, a lot's coming up. Uh, Kenny's going to be sending me uh, one of these days an updated list of everything they have going on there. They've got events going through for the entire year of 2022 can you believe it so uh such great food and wonderful service there and we do so love the hop knot on elm right across the street so uh please uh, continue to support uh that amazing business uh, a couple of quick uh programming notes um so mike sutterth who is usually here in the second hour on tuesday for his weekly uh tweakonomics segment uh he will not be coming in today he's going to be here tomorrow instead uh, reason being, um, he's got a show tonight, and uh, I'll I'll plug his uh, his show. Uh, I believe it's uh, tonight at the uh, it is at the Shaskine. Apparently, he's playing for a few hours. He has a very long set, so he's been preparing for that. So if you're gonna play, <laughs> if you're gonna play a three hour set, you need some time to prepare. So he asked if I would mind if we uh, put that off till tomorrow him coming in here for his weekly Tweakonomics segment. I said, that is fine. 
we can do that on Wednesday, certainly. So, uh, although I should point out, of course, when he plays at the Shaskeen tonight, he will not be Mike Sutterth because when he plays out, you know, he goes into the phone booth and he comes out holding a guitar and he is transformed into Grant Lampton. So actually, Grant Lampton will be performing uh, tonight at the Shaskeen. But uh, yeah, so uh, Mike will, Mike Sutterth, <laughs> who is as his normal self, will be here tomorrow for his weekly uh, Tweakonomics segment. But uh, coming up in just a few minutes here in the first hour, we are going to be uh, talking for a bit with Mike Miller. And he is someone uh, I met through our friend Billy Painter from Outlaw Radio. And Mike is uh, running for the, uh, he's a Republican running for the state legislature in Idaho. And let me just say right up front, because, you know, for anyone who's listening who might be thinking, well, okay, that's nice that he's running for the state legislature in Idaho, but what do we care about Idaho? But uh, please stick around for this, because some of the things that we're going to be discussing are things that are pertinent to every state in the country. Uh, I am particularly interested in, you know, in Idaho, they have a Republican governor, uh, Brad Little, and uh, Mike Miller, again, a, a Republican running for the legislature there, you know, he's um, uh, he disagrees with his Republican governor, uh, some of his policies and wants to end the state of emergency regarding COVID in Idaho and et cetera. And that is something uh, that's just one example of one of the things I want to ask Mike about today. But that is an example of something that, that is playing out in states across the country. And we've seen that right here, in fact, in the state of New Hampshire, where our Republican governor, Chris Sununu uh, has had to deal with the wrath of uh, some Republicans in the state legislature here who are uh, upset with our governor, despite being in the same party and who disagree with him on some of his COVID policies. Uh, we've seen that in Massachusetts. Governor Charlie Baker, a Republican governor who, uh, you know, has been of any of the Republican governors in the United States, I'd say uh, Governor Baker, probably the most aggressive in terms of dealing with COVID with the initial onslaught, you know, with the shutdowns, the lockdowns, although we, I feel like lockdown is never quite the right word for, but, you know, with all the restrictions and so forth, uh, very early in the pandemic. And he's not seeking reelection, by the way, Governor Baker, even though at least prior to the pandemic, I don't know if this is held, but prior to the pandemic, there were several years in a row where Governor Charlie Baker was uh, in a national poll, the, the most was deemed the most popular governor in the entire country. You know, and, and of course, he's, you know, if you're a Massachusetts Republican, you're not uh, a Massachusetts Republican isn't the same as necessarily an Idaho Republican, for example. But but uh, but that's the point. So we're going to be talking to Mike Miller. He is uh, running for the state legislature in Idaho. I believe it's his first time running. But but some of what he is approaching, some of these issues that he's dealing with are similar to some of what is playing out across the country. And uh, so we're going to talk about a number of things. I'm not sure how long we're going to speak. We'll see uh, where the conversation takes us. Uh, he's going to be joining us by phone, so the line will be tied up. But if you have questions or comments or anything, of course, you can interact in the Facebook live chat you can interact and opine right there. Uh, so we look forward to that. Um, so that'll be in just a couple of minutes. Also, too, uh, we're going to do this. I know that our friend Isaiah Aline is listening. So I have another announcement for tomorrow's show. I thought about doing it today, but then I thought, no, no, no. I need time to build this up. So for tomorrow's show, Isaiah, we're going to be uh, giving you the world radio premiere. The first time ever. 
on FM radio. What I believe is sure to be an inevitable hit single. But, you know, after it gets the Matt Connerton unleashed bump, Isaiah's new single, Save the Piano. And by the way, I like it because I feel the lyrics have a very positive message. Because you should save the piano. You can't let a piano just uh, go to waste or, you know, burn up in a fire or whatever it is. Or whatever Isaiah's uh, uh, muse was for this uh, this song. So, so we're going to play that tomorrow. We're going to feature that uh, right here on Matt Connerton Unleashed. The world radio premiere of Save the Piano from our friend Isaiah Aline, who, by the way, I will remind you, is a, a an Illuminati candidate for the 2024 presidential election, and he is considering me for the spot as his VP, his running mate. And uh, and again, I'm, I'm I'm not even a member of the Illuminati, so we'll have to figure some things out if I if I do accept his invitation to be his running mate. But I must tell you, uh, the idea of being vice president is very exciting. I mean, the idea of being president is even more exciting. But, uh, you know, perhaps uh, uh, this will be the uh, the stepping stone, the launching pad that I need to uh, propel me ultimately into the presidency after, of course, uh, uh, two successful terms uh, in office uh, serving as uh, Isaiah's uh, veep, as we say. So very exciting, lots of excitement. But yes, we are going to, and he is in the chat room and says, thank you, Matt, much love, fam. My pleasure. I believe, look, look, I know, I have a background in, in the music industry. I know a hit song when I hear it. Like I said, I like the the positive message. I say save all the instruments. You save the piano, save the guitars, save the drums. You got to save everything, right? But uh, yeah, so that's what uh, that's what's going to be going on here the next couple of days. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, like I said, I'm going to keep the phone line open because our friend uh, Mike Miller is going to be calling from the great state of Idaho. He is on the road uh, campaigning. I look forward to uh, speaking with him. I do want to say hello, of course, to everybody in the Facebook live chat. Uh, Charles Richardson joins us. Charles from the great state of Florida. Now, by the way, in Florida, it's kind of the opposite of, uh, you know, what I was talking about a moment ago, you know, um, where you, in, in states where you have these Republican governors and you have Republicans within their state who are at odds with the Republican governor over some of the the uh, the covid mitigation strategies. And, uh, well, of course, uh, in Florida, where Charles lives, it's kind of the opposite of that, because Governor Ron DeSantis uh, I think we can safely say uh, doesn't give a flying mm about COVID. Uh, they're just letting it run wild. It's it's COVID mania running wild in uh, Florida. So uh, so that would be an example of of the opposite of uh, of what uh, some of these Republicans are uh, are attacking, uh, shall we say? But of course, then Charles also host of the Charles Richardson Show, and you know we're very proud of Jenny, our own Jenny. Uh, for uh, becoming one of the official co-hosts on the Charles Richardson Show every Wednesday and Friday night. And this week, Jenny was also on last night as well. So very nice, very nice. Uh, EZG Eric Gagnon joins us and says, Happy Tuesday. Hello, Eric. Miriam Banish is in the chat and says, Good afternoon. Uh, Chris Rose from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Speaking of Massachusetts, Governor Charlie Baker. Chris says, Good afternoon. Isaiah's in the chat and says, What's up, fams? Uh, it's your boy, Jesus. Uh, he also goes by Jesus. Uh, on day three of rendering possibly the world's greatest project, I'll be ending American homelessness with a 700,000 family home city and a broad new island. 
uh, oh, a brand new island for any remaining trying to get out of this economic game of life. That is very exciting, uh, Isaiah. Uh, he says, all projects are dimensionally stealthed until completion. I think that is a wise uh, move. I think that, uh, you know, I, I have projects that I work on and I do keep them uh, dimensionally stealthed. You know, uh, you, you can't just uh, you can't just start a project and just put it out there for the whole world to see. Somebody might copy your idea. They might steal your uh, your concept. You know, uh, I am a big fan and a big promoment of a dimensional stealthing. And uh, I, in fact, uh, coincidentally, uh, in high school, some friends and I had a, a progressive uh, rock band called uh, Dimensional Stealth. So there you go. Let's see. This is probably uh, Mike. We're just about ready to have the phone go ding-a-ding. Mike Miller, is that you? It is. Uh, very punctual, sir. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. How are you? Very well, very well. So uh, I was just giving you, uh, I don't know if you heard it, I was just giving you a, a, a big introduction on the program. So welcome to the show. This is your first time joining us here. And uh, where are you right now? Are you uh, out on the trail, so to speak? Or uh, what, are you, uh, what are you doing right now out there in Idaho? Yeah, we're we're out on the trail, kind of running errands, doing that kind of stuff. Just getting all the stuff done for today that we got to get done. Is that a difficult uh, state to campaign in? In terms of, you know, it's not like uh, in some places. You know, if you're in a an urban area, for example, you know, you can go around door knocking or a suburban area. But I would imagine in Idaho, it's it's kind of rural unless you're in you know a major city. Uh, is it is it difficult to uh, to campaign? It's not like you know, it's not like you can just uh, walk around uh, a lot of neighborhoods <laughs> and just go up to different houses, I would assume. Well, in my area, uh, it's actually very residential. There's definitely areas in Idaho that, um, you know, it's a it's a three-minute drive to the next house. Um, yeah. But, no, here in uh, the Treasure Valley and Caldwell area, no, I can, I can do a lot of door-to-door, -door, and so it helps with kind of reaching uh, – constituents and things of that nature oh that's good that's good um is this your first time running for office it is my first time okay okay what motivated you to run because uh obviously you know it, it, it's a big step i'm sure you uh i mean was it an easy decision or did, did you and your family kind of i know people who've run for office who kind of went through this whole process where they had to sit down with their family and really kind of hash this out do we want to uh you know because your your life ends up being on display and you know, people start uh, start really looking at you closely. I mean, what, what was it? Uh, was it an easy decision or a hard decision? And and what went into it? Um, I would I would say it was a decision. You know, I don't know if it was easy or hard, but a lot of thought and prayer went into it um, between my wife and I, and even talking to my kids a little bit. But um, definitely between my wife and I and other people that were elected, and uh, you know, different voices that I trust um, that are you know mentors in my own life of. You know, hey, these are the issues that I see. Um, you know, I don't believe that our elected leaders or my elected leaders are handling these issues how I would like to see them handle them, and they're not being responsive to me reaching out to them and trying to be active uh, and engage with them. And um, you know, having long conversations with my wife of, you know, we're really it's not just me that's going to be on public display, but right. the entire family, and, and that you know, I was telling her like we all have to be on board because this isn't an easy process. It's not going to be, you know, there's probably going to be personal attacks and things of that nature mm -hmm. that are, you know, 
unfounded, untrue, but still people are going to say whatever they're going to say. Mm-hmm. And is this, you know, is this a step that we want to take in our life? Is, you know, these issues that um, that matter to us, do they matter that much? Or does our privacy matter um, more to us? And, you know, ultimately we decided that, you know, that I should run, that we should do this together, and that, um, you know, there's a lot of freedom issues that that we see that need uh, attention and that are as as important as our, you know, personal lives are and, you know, that we like kind of doing our own thing, but we need to be out there and engaging and try to push forward the policies and things like that in this area that we would like to see. By the way, have you had to deal with anything yet in terms of, you know, unfounded personal attacks and, and, and things like that, or, or have things been uh, pretty clean so far? Uh, it's been pretty clean, um, you know, and hopefully, prayerfully, it stays that way. You know, there's definitely been um, being a more conservative, grassroots-type candidate. Um, I can definitely see a lot of doors that are in the Republican Party that are closed to me because there's a, that at least in this area is a huge battle going on currently between kind of grassroots conservative candidates and the um, establishment Republicans that are in office currently. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to ask you more about that. I was um, something that we've talked about a lot on the show because, you know, you and I had, had talked in uh, a private message on Facebook a little bit about this and, and, you know, I uh, just, just a little bit, but, I um I know that from watching your, for example, for watching your campaign ad, you you, you know you, you mentioned the uh, governor Governor Brad Little and his uh, st- state of the emergency, and you wanted to end that and so forth. Obviously, a lot of states have declared, maybe all states have uh, declared a state of emergency regarding uh, COVID or or some some uh, legal uh, thing that allows them to do uh, certain things in terms of restrictions and and all of that. Yeah. And um and I've I have noticed that. Uh, across the country, there are uh, quite a few states with Republican governors where, and we've seen it right here in New Hampshire, where you have a Republican governor who has done certain things um, in terms of restrictions and, and, you know, and using executive power and using emergency powers. And then uh, they're getting pushback within their own party. We've seen that dynamic play out here in New Hampshire, where th- there were Republicans in our state legislature here who wanted to restrict the emergency powers of our Republican governor, Chris Sununu, um, in terms of COVID. I don't think that actually ended up going anywhere. I haven't heard anything about it lately. I don't think they got too far with it, what they were trying to do. And we have a constitutionally weak governorship anyway, because we also have an executive council. And uh, without getting into all of that, you know, his powers are somewhat limited to begin with. But it looks like so you're you're at odds, if I'm correct, with some of what your Republican governor, Brad Little, has been doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think overall, you know, Idaho is a very free state and open state and, you know, which is awesome. And uh, but I think we can do better. And one of the things that I've been pushing, I know that other people have been pushing for as well is, you know, emergency powers are important because things happen Mm -hmm. and they need, you know, immediate attention and things of that nature. But, um, you know, we're over 600 days into this. And one of the things I would like to see is, you know, after a 30 to 60 day period that the legislative body has to reapprove the emergency powers so that we're never so we're not stuck in a never ending emergency. You know, things mm-hmm. change and things need to happen. And, you know, it allows 
federal funding to come in and, you know, different services and, you know, emergencies happen and they need to be addressed, but to stay under emergency powers to where one person is controlling all the funding and the entire way the state's going, I think the more hands we have in that and in some respects, I think will be helpful. Um, you know, of you know, we're bringing in the legislative body that were voted in by the people of Idaho and, you know, do the people of Idaho want, you know, whatever, um, you know, restrictions or whatever's happening to happen, or do they feel that it's time to go a different direction? So just so I understand correctly, Mike, so in Idaho, the governor, once he invokes uh, emergency powers or, or an emergency declaration, there is no there is no recourse currently for the legislature if, if they want to modify something that he's done or th- there's no uh, mechanism for a reauthorization or or it, it is 100 percent solely in the hands of the governor. Correct. OK. OK. Interesting. And, and so, he, you know, he could stay under that and in that, um, you know, as and that's been some of the battle of people saying, you know, how long can he stay under this? And even with the legislative body wanting to come back into session um, when they were finally able to force that issue, they were only able to talk uh, about what he deemed that they could talk about while in session. Oh, interesting. Okay, I see. Now, um, is what he is doing currently? Because from what I from what I read online, and I, I tried to do some quick research on this in in terms of uh, what uh, what is um, still in effect in Idaho regarding COVID. And it was actually a little bit difficult, as with a lot of states. I've noticed it was a little difficult to find concrete information. But it seems to me like mm. like whatever restrictions there are now are pretty restrained, right? I mean, he's not—for uh, example, he he opposed uh, the uh, federal mandate, right, for, uh, for vaccinations um, for employers to, uh, I think, 100 or more people to insist— their employees get vaccinated or or use the testing option. He he fully opposed that, right? So is he really? I guess what I'm asking is practically and pragmatically, is 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 it really worth trying to take him on when it comes to that? Where it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of teeth to anything he currently has enacted currently, or or maybe you're you're concerned about the future, what the governor or what future governors might do in the future. So it's it's kind of multifaceted because again, you know, we're definitely one of the more free states in the country and really some of the big, you know, we're definitely concerned about the future and you know how things how government can misappropriate things and do things, but and we don't really have many restri- restrictions here in Idaho. We're pretty free-spirited, but under the emergency declaration, it gives him the ability to spend billions of federal dollars that are coming in however he deems that they should be spent and not through the legislative body how normally our budgets are approved and how that money is spent it also gives extra powers to uh health departments um and different agencies and things of that nature um you know a lot of them are unelected officials that are uh making different rules across you know different cities or counties um municipalities things like that and so that's um, part of our issues with that, because it's not, you know, a, um, you know, full, complete lockdown or anything like that. But that, yeah. um, you know, just in Idaho in general, we like um, and appreciate our freedoms to do kind of live our lives how we see best. It sounds like, tell me if I have this right. It sounds like you're not, uh, at least I get the impression 
you're not as concerned with Brad Little specifically, Governor Brad Little necessarily as you are in, in, in concerned with a broader uh, paradigm of you want the state legislature to have more power or at least maybe the governor to have less power than than the governor currently has. Is that correct? Yeah, I think, you know, we just the kind of a free exchange of ideas and the ability to, uh, you know, I think the more more hands in it, the better. There's, I think, diminishing returns at, you know, at some point if you get too many chiefs, you know, chiefs involved in it. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, limiting what his powers, what his powers are and, you know, the powers of the governor in general of that if the people want to go a direction, that that's the way that the government is going. Now, our mutual friend, uh, Billy Painter, is in the chat room, and he says, uh, Brad Chicken Little wants to keep the state of emergency going because he makes money off of it. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not sure what exactly Billy means. Uh, d- does, the, does the governor somehow, I mean, obviously we know, uh, not to be naive, we know that politicians do personally enrich themselves in positions of power, but is, is Billy referring to a specific allegation there that's been made against Brad Little, do you know, or is that more of a, just a, a broad uh, comment that he's making? Um, I don't know of any specific allegations. I think it's more of like a lot of people have issues with um, the federal funding that we're spending, that we're spending billions and billions of dollars here in Idaho. And many of the people in Idaho don't see a need for it. You know, they're like, where is this money going? There's no, in our opinion, or in some people's opinion, real oversight of how that money is being Uh spent. And is it being spent how we'd like for it to? And you know, ultimately, do we need to be spending the money on the things that's being spent on? You know, it's we talk a lot about, you know, oh, it's coming from the federal government or this or that. And we kind of it's said in such a term that we don't see that personal responsibility of, no, we're spending our money. We're spending your tax dollars. We're spending my tax dollars. We're spending, you know, other people's tax, that it's our money that we're spending mm-hmm. on stuff. And are those programs that it's being spent on actual, uh, actually things that we should be spending money on. Well, and I think what you're saying here, Mike, is something that uh, people across the political spectrum can agree on is, you know, there should always be more transparency and oversight. And so very often you're right. uh, States get money from the federal government and um, very often that money is not necessarily spent on the correct things or not spent on what it was intended for. Or sometimes the money uh, seems to just go into some sort of black hole and nobody knows where it went. And, you know, for example, uh, with the uh, federal government's rental assistance program, uh, which uh, a lot of people during this pandemic were not able to uh, take advantage of to help them uh, get caught up on their rent because it was extraordinarily difficult from what I understand. Th- thank God I personally was not in this situation, but it's it's difficult to apply for the money. And apparently... Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. The Just Because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning. 
and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. The steak, egg, and cheese bagel is back at McDonald's. Order ahead on the app and pick up curbside. Price and participation may vary. McD app download and registration required. A lot of this money is out there somewhere, I guess, and never even got spent or it never quite got to the states or it's just madness. And I think something we can all agree on is there should be more transparency and oversight. And we as taxpayers should be able to know exactly where this money is going and whether or not it's going to where it's intended and so forth. And and, uh, government is very effective at playing hide the ball uh, when it comes to that. Um, So I... I, uh, I think that's something we can all agree on. Uh, By the way, our friend Crystal in the Facebook live chat says, I would agree that uh, a governor's emergency powers should have to be renewed slash reauthorized to ensure it's only temporary and also gives an opportunity to revise, make necessary corrections, make any necessary corrections, et cetera, uh, as new info that has come to light since the date it was issued. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and uh, by the way, so so you're running on that. That's one of the, the things that I saw in your campaign ad. Uh, what does the governor say about the state of emergency in Idaho? Is, is it, um, I mean, it's hard to know when this pandemic is going to actually be over the way it's going, but has he said anything about that? Has he addressed that specifically when he intends to end the state of emergency? Not- not at a hard line. I think, and I think that's one thing that at least people in Idaho and I would imagine all over this country have a problem with is, you know, where's the goalpost? Where's the finish line of, you know, in order to get rid of different re- restrictions or the emergency order or whatever, what have you, you know, what's the matrix for make for making that happen? What is, um, you know, what does that look like? What do we have to accomplish? Is it a certain amount of people, um, you know, that do one thing or the other, or, you know, what is, and I think a lot of people are frustrated with where's the finish line? What do we what goal do we have to reach in order for us to get back to a more normal lifestyle that we remember? Well, yeah, and that's that's going to have to be um, I mean, that's kind of an ongoing uh, discussion that a lot of people are having now as we try to figure out where we're going with this pandemic. And are we in the process with Omicron? Are we in the process of, of getting from pandemic to endemic and so forth? And some people are saying uh, some epidemiologists are saying now that uh, we we might already be in a phase where we're going to have to learn uh, to live with COVID and uh, and and just manage it as best we can, and and we might be at that point now. Um, I don't know, but um, but how how is Idaho done with this overall? Uh, because I've I've read conflicting things. I, I mean, in your estimation, just kind of in a broad sense, how is Idaho done? Well, actually, let me ask this as a two-part question. How has Idaho done uh, managing through this, and what would you do differently or what would you want to see done differently in the future, particularly if you are elected and you have, uh, and you have the opportunity to affect uh, and, uh, and influence what policy is going forward? Well, I think, again, I think in general, overall, Idaho has done very well, and you know, it's with any type of situation like this, it's hard because, you know, we haven't necessarily been through something like this and it's hard to make what are the right moves and the information a lot of times is changing, you know, moment to moment and, you know, day to day, week to week and things like that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I understand that it's hard and you can't 
always make you know the right decisions and you know who determines what is the right decision because one thing that you may say is oh i like this idea i may dislike and vice versa but um one of the biggest things is freedom and allowing businesses that all businesses in my mind are essential and to be able to just revoke business licenses um wake up one morning and say hey um all these businesses here, you're not essential. You have to close down, but they still have to pay, you know, uh, rent, lease, you know, property taxes, all of those things. And what, and how are those people supposed to survive if they don't have jobs? I think there's personal accountability and that each business and patron should be able to make those decisions for themselves of, you know, do I want to leave my business open or do I not? Do I want to go out and shop at, you know, this deli or boutique store or whatever, um, you know, that freedom is, freedom is dangerous and we should be able to live our lives, how we feel is best for us, whether as a business owner, or as a, um, just a normal citizen. And I think that's one of the biggest things for me is I just saw so many businesses have their licenses revoked for, you know, with no due process, with no nothing. It's just someone somewhere deemed it to be so. I would have liked to have seen, um, you, you know, the the federal government do, um, you know, like with the PPP loans and all that. I, I would have liked to have seen them maybe target certain industries better, you know, like like any anybody who anybody who was in a position where either the federal government or or state government was selling them, they had to close temporarily or whatnot. They should have been uh, they they should have been the ones to be able to access money. I think, and instead of you know some of these big corporations that didn't need the money, but took money and so forth. But it is such a, such a, a difficult situation as, as, as you said, you know, it's, um, it's hard to know what the right answers are when we're dealing with a, what is hopefully, <laughs> hopefully a once in a lifetime event. And if you look back historically, it seems to be about every hundred years or so, there is a, a global pandemic. Um, but uh, hopefully it's uh, <laughs> hopefully we don't have to ever go through this again. Um, yeah. Now the, the legislature there. So how many, we have a really unique legislature here in New Hampshire. We have, it's, um, depending on who you ask, it's either the third or fourth largest legislative body, democratically elected legislative body in the world. We have a legislature here of, uh, more than 400 people. It's a, a citizen legislature, but I, uh, as far as I know, there's not another legislature in the country quite like it, but how many people are in the legislature there in Idaho? So, like, our house has 72 uh, people in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's not— Yeah, so it's, it's, much, it's much smaller. And does it, um, uh, d- does it take much money there to run uh, for office? I know this is your first time doing this, but has it been a big investment? Yeah, it's, it's definitely an investment. I like looking at what, uh, you know, different people that have ran my, uh, who was going to be my opponent and stuff like that, you know, how much money have they spent in the last few elections and how many votes and things like that. Like I'm looking at uh, needing to fundraise thirty to $50,000 uh, for the primary election. Itself. Wow. Yeah. That, and that's, you know, it's funny. My, my reaction is, wow, that's a lot of money because I'm used to being here where, uh, you know, it, it it takes very little to run for office, but again, it's because we have such a we have a, a, a citizen legislature. But um, so you're going, so you've got the the primary, and do you have do you have other uh, opponents who are running for that same seat 
uh, who have already announced, or are you unopposed uh, so far for the Republican uh, nomination? So the individual that holds the seat currently uh, is vacating that seat to okay. uh, run for Senate. Oh, okay. Um, I, there's only one other person that I know of that will be running, and Idaho has a closed uh, Republican primary, so you have to be registered as a Republican and things like that. And like our the main, I mean, the general matters, but really where it's at for Idaho is the primary because of beating out the establishment type people and beating out, you know, with Idaho being fairly red um, still that, um, you know, it's an uphill battle for a Democrat to win anywhere in the state. But yeah, um, yeah the primary is definitely where it's at here in Idaho. Okay. Now that makes sense. Um, I, I have a couple specific questions, but I want to ask you kind of a, just a broader question, uh, about, um, you know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times the, the establishment, uh, running against the establishment there. What, what in Idaho, uh, what is the, in your words, the establishment, uh, Republican apparatus in Idaho versus what your, trying to do in terms of fighting against that what what is what is the establishment doing there that you object to and and what are you trying to bring in one of the biggest things that i object to with kind of this what i would consider the establishment in this area is some of a lot of the things that they've done with you know revoking business licenses with uh taking away freedoms or trying to take away freedoms you know limiting freedoms where it's in my opinion, a lot of those are Democrat-style moves. Um, you know, we've had uh, the person who holds the seat currently put three different bills forward to try to limit First Amendment-protected uh, free speech, um, you know, also allowing uh, churches and things of that nature, um, religious uh, dwellings to be closed down. Um, that it's There seems to have been a lot of moves that, in my opinion, were anti-freedom and that were done— in the name of safety, but they weren't done across the board equally. Because I understand, you know, wanting to keep people safe and things of that nature. But one, I don't see that as the government's job. And that if you're going to make rules, they need to be fair and consistent for everybody. That, you know, we see a lot of times with the masks where elected leaders will put forward a mask mandate, but then they're at some uh, large function, not wearing one. So right. you know, they're making rules where I have to supposedly wear one, but they, but they do not. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and just, you know, just for the record and, and my regular listeners know this, but I'm, you know, I'm in favor of, um, of, uh, mitigation steps and, and a lot of what I'm in favor of you, you would, uh, certainly object to, I think from what you're saying, but, but I do agree with you, you know, because I, I, I'm kind of a what I guess you'd call a COVID hawk. Like, I really want to uh, I want to do whatever we have to do to get get this thing done. H- having said that, though, I think um, where I would agree with you and where I think a lot of us would would certainly be in agreement is you do want to see these things uh, done fairly and evenly. And it is infuriate. It's funny that the, when you said that just now, Mike, what you were saying about you know, you have a mask mandate, but then you've got someone who, um, uh, someone who, because they can get away with it, they violate that. Uh, the first one that, the first example of that that popped into my mind when you said that was Gavin Newsom, uh, governor of uh, California, where, you know, uh, in the midst of some pretty horrendous uh, COVID numbers, and they had 
this was, I think this was pre-vaccine even, if I'm not mistaken, but they had, you know, a pretty stringent uh, statewide mask mandate, uh, which again, I, I thought was appropriate given the situation, but then, you know, pictures pop up online of uh, he's having dinner. Uh, oh, right. I remember now it's coming back to me. This was while um, you weren't allowed to eat indoors at restaurants in California. But then a picture pops up online or I think several pictures of him having dinner, you know, no mask. He's just hanging out, having some dinner and uh, with some people indoors. And then it turns out, oh, well, they were donors of, of his. So there was uh, a financial interest there. Big surprise. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, um, I think that would be a, a prime example of what you were just saying. And that's, that's the first thing that came to my mind when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for me, it's, you know, if, if you should be able to have, or you should have to live by whatever laws or rules or, you know, whatever you're making. And, yes. you know, outside of that, I think, you know, a lot of people should be able to choose how they, you know, how they want to live their life one way or the other. You know, I don't you know, I don't begrudge anybody on their own personal decisions. Um, Crystal in the chat room says, I think there should be a deep dive audit of all 50 states when this pandemic is over with. Uh, what mandates were issued? What were the impacts of those deaths, economy, mental health, et cetera? How many in power profited from decisions they made and benefited financially from? Should they keep that money or perhaps donate it to help those harmed? Uh, it was reported, for example, that Illinois Governor Pritzker, uh, uh, Governor Pritzker's businesses were the ones that made COVID tests. So he's made billions. Uh, he limited freedoms for Illinois citizens while he flew his own family to Florida uh, where there were no restrictions. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that about uh, uh, Governor Pritzker, but uh, but it is Illinois and Illinois <laughs> has quite the Illinois. At one point, I don't know if you know this, Mike, had uh, three different, I'm sure Crystal knows this, three different former governors all serving time in prison at the same time. Uh, it was uh, 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 Blagojevich, um, uh, the names of the other two escape me, but we all remember uh, Blago, and uh, I, yeah, I can't remember the names of the other two, but yeah, Illinois is uh, known for... <laughs> for their corruption. So that, uh, that wouldn't surprise me, uh, at all. Um, now I wanted to ask you this, and this is something Billy Painter uh, mentioned in our chat. Uh, Billy had said he has a school district. He has to deal with a school district who thinks they're above the police and can search anyone or anything near a school property. So there's a possibility that your house can be across the street from a school and they want to search your property. What's, uh, what's this about Mike? So um, the school's putting together their search and seizure policy for this for the school, and the document that they put out um, that they were looking to approve, um, and they had to bring it before the school board or whatever. I was looking at it, and it stated that they have the ability to search and seize any property or person or search you know search any person um, that's on or near uh, school grounds. Now I understand, and I think we can have a discussion on you know, on school grounds and the difference between a uh, student and the general public. But with the near, that concerns me because the sidewalk is public property. Well, here in Idaho, we have uh, constitutional carry, which I'm allowed to carry a firearm in public mm -hmm. on you know public sidewalks. 
if my vehicle is parked across the street from a school, I'm illegally allowed to have, you know, guns in my car or tobacco products or whatever. Or, you know, a lot of our schools have, you know, housing right around them. You know, how far away is near? Is near, you know, 10 oh. feet from the property? Is it a mile from the property? And they don't, in my opinion, they don't have that ability. They don't have police powers to do that. And even the police can't just come to your home and search it because, you know, they have nothing better to do at that moment or whatever. They need, you know, they need a warrant. They need probable cause. And with the school, they only need reasonable suspicion is what, how they articulate it in Idaho law. <laughs> well, if I call a school and say, hey, you know, Matt's got this uh, in his truck and his truck's parked just down the street, which is, you know, it could be a totally legal, lawful item for you to have. But if that they deem it to be uh, dangerous, they can search your vehicle without notifying you and seize any property um, that they deem necessary and then forward that on to law enforcement. And just so I'm clear, Mike, so the law does not define what what they mean by, quote unquote, near it's it just it, they, they... well. It, here's part of the problem too, and this is a problem that we've had, uh, in my opinion, with a lot of the COVID stuff. Is there's a big difference between policy and law, and what they're implementing is a policy on what's the school district's policy, and that is for administrators and superintendents and principals. And so they're saying that this is, you know, they have, they're given the authority to do this through the Idaho law, but their policy is uh, with this search and seizure program. Okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I haven't... And so my biggest concern with that is, is what does near mean? Because they have no jurisdiction <laughs> outside of uh, the right. actual school property boundaries. And I think, you know, maybe there's discussions to be had because they can even go up to unclothed body searches. And I'm like, I'm massively uncomfortable, one, with that, but two, that you don't have to have, you know, a parent there. Like, you better, like, yeah. it's, yep. at that point, law enforcement better be involved, and, I mean, it, it better be a bomb threat or something of that nature. You know, like, if you're searching for tobacco, no. Okay, right, right. And then uh, also, by the way, in this uh, chat online we were having, and then you said, um that is on top of them wanting to know if you uh, have HIV, high blood pressure, any STDs, uh, or all other medical records before entering uh, before entering the Correct. school. So before, in, so um, kind of to simplify the story, I was trying to or attempting to attend a uh, school board meeting, which Idaho has open public meeting laws where they have to allow the public to attend these meetings and was trying to gain entrance to it. Um, they weren't allowing um, entrance. They said that they would grant me entrance if I could go get a doctor's, which, I mean, the meeting was happening at this point, um, that if I could go get a doctor's note and on camera, like, I'm like, do I have to show you that I have HIV or STDs or, um, or that I don't have those things or, you know, high blood pressure? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, you can't, I'm, you can't, demand that I open up my medical records to you to attend a school board meeting. That's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I just, it's a, as, as I see it, it's a power and control move. And because of the governor's emergency declaration 
some of these entities have been given a little bit more power and any, you know, power can definitely corrupt people, whether it's law enforcement or, you know, the, uh, the person running the register at the gas station or anything like that of, you know, some people, they don't know how to handle power or what to do with power other than to try to wield it upon, uh, their subjects. And Yeah. yeah, it's, a lot of that stuff's way out of control. By the way, uh, so Crystal in the chat says, uh, yes, I swear, Illinois must have its own prison wing for our elected officials. Four of our last seven governors went to jail. Rod Blagojevich, George Ryan, Dan Walker, and Otto Kerner were all Illinois governors who went to jail for corruption. Uh, and then we had this town comptroller who stole $30 million for her racehorses over the course of several years from a teeny tiny town. Ah, good old Illinois. (laughs) Billy Painter says, consider why HIPAA laws were made in the first place. Um, Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Now, what what, what's the corruption uh, situation in Idaho? Is that a is is that a big problem there? Obviously, it uh, varies a lot from state to state. We have someone who comes on this show, John Hopwood, who complains that uh, New Hampshire is corrupt, but nobody bothers to hold anyone accountable. Um, but, uh, I have no comment on that. That's, uh, John Hopwood who says that, but, uh, w- what's it like there in Idaho? Is there a lot of political, political, uh, scandal? Um, not, not a time. I mean, I think anytime you're dealing with politics, um, you know, you're going to have different scandals that are, you know, maybe true or untrue or anything like that. I, I don't know of any governors that we've had in prison yet. Um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, we try to keep that option open, I guess, sure. um, but, <laughs> There's, but even like in this town, like there's, there's definitely people that get elected, especially under the Republican ticket. That I'm like, I don't know how you're getting elected. Um, you know, we have different officials that have, um, you know, sexual allegations or sexual charges or domestic violence charges um, and things of that nature, which kind of surprised me that, you know, Republicans generally speaking are kind of a law and order uh, tribe, I guess as you could say, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, there's definitely continual issues. We have some stuff uh, that had been going on with our um, lieutenant governor and things like that. But a lot of that seems like political witch hunts. But some of it's hard because you know, depending on where you're getting your information and trying to get proper information on, hey, what is actually happening? Oh yeah. Well, you should see some of the uh, colorful characters who get elected here. And like I said, we have a citizen legislature of more than 400 people, and uh, you see some really uh, <laughs> it would probably, it would blow your mind. I'll tell you. By the way, so you um now are you currently in law enforcement or your ex law enforcement or what what's um? What's... So I'm I'm currently in law enforcement, um, but I've been on paid administrative leave uh, since uh, November. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're in kind of a weird spot with that, but yeah. It, it, because of the vaccine mandate? Correct. Okay. Now, what? so what are they doing with that in Idaho? So they're, are, are they requiring everyone who's in law enforcement to get vaccinated, or or, or is there a testing option? Or so, so here's, well, here's the interesting kind of hard part is, so I, I've been um, 15 years law enforcement, um, but... I worked for the state of Idaho for a while, but now I, so I reside in Idaho, but I'm actually law enforcement in the state of Oregon because I live kind oh. of on a border town. Oh, um, okay. And so I'm, 
my my employment follows the rules that Oregon has uh, set forth. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. Um, by the way, so uh, this is um, just kind of a broader uh, question, but um, and we're we'll, we'll wrap up in a couple minutes. We are approaching the top of the hour, so we won't keep you too much longer, Mike. You've been very generous with your time, and I appreciate it. But um, is, do you have any thoughts on you know, obviously, uh, particularly in the last few years? I mean, it's always been the case, but. Uh, particularly in the last few years, there's a lot of discussion in this country about law enforcement and uh, the ways in which law enforcement interacts with with citizens. And, uh, uh, you, you know, some things have been caught on video, for example, you know, in, in an age where everyone has the ability to take video on their uh, camera phone. You know, we see some some uh, things and, you know, I'm thinking about like George Floyd, his uh, the murder of George Floyd and things like that. But, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I, I can tell you that uh, we talk about it a lot on the show, and, you know, there's some people who are very pro-police uh, no matter what, and some people who are very anti-police no matter what. And, you know, I always, uh, I always take the nuanced approach. I say, well, you know, there's great law enforcement people out there who are heroes. And there's also, uh, of course, there's going to be some, some bad people and we need to, um, we need to celebrate and respect and, uh, and appreciate uh, the heroes. And we need to weed out the the bad ones like uh, Derek Chauvin, for example, and, and some others. But I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on this uh, subject as someone who, who uh, works in law enforcement? Um, and, and in terms of, I mean, I don't know what the situation, I never really hear anything in Idaho uh, specifically about um uh, issues uh, of, of police brutality and things like that, but but do you have any thoughts on the subject? So I'm I'm pro good police. There mm-hmm. are definitely I mean, as with any industry, I mean, from you know radio talk show hosts to police to you know uh, anybody, there's there's good and bad, and especially in law enforcement, like many of us want to root out those people that should not be in law enforcement that are, you know, power hungry or don't know how to handle the thing or, you know, overreaching. But part of it is hard because, you know, police are there to enforce um, rule and to perform, uh, to enforce law. But, you know, what about when we see different things that maybe are overreach in our communities and things like that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of that stuff has to work through the court systems of, you know, stop and frisk or, um, you know, of different, you know, shutting businesses down, for example. And, you know, the just because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. The steak, egg, and cheese bagel is back at McDonald's. Order ahead on the app and pick up curbside. Price and participation may vary. Make the app download and registration required. (laughs) The first cup of coffee, it was awful. Meet Rod Johnson, co-founder of Black & Bold, a premium specialty coffee and tea company powered by Shopify. The journey of Black & Bold started with us opening our online Shopify store while we were burning beans in my business partner's garage. Shopify allows us to stay true to our mission by having an easily customizable and responsive site that make it very easy for novices to try their hand in becoming entrepreneurs. I was able to do it without any technical background, and I'm very grateful for Shopify. My advice to anyone thinking of starting a business is to just start selling on Shopify today. 
When you're ready to share your business with the world, grow it on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform trusted by millions of businesses like Black & Bold. Get a free 14-day trial at shopify.com slash free22 and start selling wherever your customers are with easy-to-use tools and friendly 24-7 support. Go to shopify.com slash free22 right now. Shopify.com slash free22. It's really polarizing, I think, for a lot of people on you know one side or the other. Yeah. And for me, like, a lot of times law enforcement's caught in the middle of, you know, you have the city come out with something with, hey, we're shutting all these businesses down and we're using the police force to enforce this thing. But then others are saying, hey, you can't do that because it's unconstitutional. And, you know, the police aren't constitutional lawyers. And, you know, people are like, hey, you took an oath. You know, I see a lot of videos where people are like, you took an oath <laughs> to the Constitution and things of that nature. Yeah. And I'm like, there's a there's a process for determining you know what is constitutional what is not uh you know but i think a lot of it's having taking the time to slow down having those conversations but um you know and training training is a huge thing i think a lot of these issues that we've seen over the last few years and you know it's little it's not little incidences but it's you know it's there's not a ton of incidences that happen it's incidents that happen that get um that get a, a ton of media attention and rightfully so for a lot of them but a lot of these things i think are training issues it's mm-hmm. not necessarily that those individuals are out to get somebody maybe and sometimes maybe they are but of how do we how do we train officers to better handle situations whether it's you know medical emergencies or mental health crises or um things like that of you know what is a better way through communication or other tools on handling these situations and try to keep them from becoming um, violent or, you know, something that um, we don't agree with as a, as a general uh, public. Yeah. That's something I've, I've heard and and read a lot about is that um, a lot of times police, you know, it's like you said, it's a a training issue and and, uh, police aren't always taught maybe adequately de-escalation techniques and so forth. By the way, uh, Billy Painter in the chat says, I had issues with the Garden City, Idaho police in the nineties, mostly power hungry rookies. And that, I think that goes to your point about training. You know, you've got, uh, you know, you've got young uh, rookies who may, maybe they've got a lot of testosterone and they, they need to have the proper training to not, uh, uh, you know, ab- abuse their power. By the way, uh, where are you on uh, civil asset forfeiture? Because as long as we're talking about police and, and police power and so forth, I'm, I'm someone who it's not it's not on anyone's top five list of issues, but it is something I've talked about a lot on the show and my own opposition uh, to uh, civil asset forfeiture. But do you have any thoughts on that, Mike? I think it's one of those things that's definitely been, in my opinion, abused, that it's a it's another way to try to, you know, stick it to somebody, um, you know, or to get back at them. And I think that it, I, generally speaking, I do I do not agree uh, with it um, in general. Yeah. But and, and one thing I want to kind of touch on, too, is with the police training, I think one thing we need to have is a discussion for the public as well of, you know, how do you interact with the police? How do, mm-hmm. you know, if, if a situation is happening, that isn't the moment to get into a brawl with the police. Because <laughs> right. generally speaking, you're all, I mean, you're always going to lose that battle, but yeah. using our court system and using other ways of handling police misconduct, you know, on the side of a road is not the place to try to physically address that situation. 
Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I even, uh, you know, I, I, I get pulled over once in a while if I'm if I'm speeding. And uh, I always, uh, I learned this a long time ago. You know, I'll, I'll roll the window down for, so when the officer, you know, comes up to the window, he can ask me for my license and reg. But I, I put the window down, but I don't reach for anything. I put the window down and then I put my hands on the steering wheel and I wait for the officer to say, okay, I need your license and reg. And then I'll, I'll tell him or her, I'll say, okay, well, my license is in my front right pocket and, you know, they'll say, okay, go ahead. And I very slowly, you know, and I've noticed that uh, law enforcement really seem to appreciate that. And I never, ever get a ticket because I, I, I do all of that. And, uh, and then everything goes very smoothly. And next thing you know, I'm on my way with the warning. <laughs> so, yeah. but, uh, well, we, we are at the top of the hour, Mike. So, uh, like I said, you've been very generous with your time. We appreciate it. And thank you uh, so much to uh, our mutual friend, uh, Billy Painter, for uh, connecting us. I've enjoyed uh, speaking with you. And uh, before you go, uh, anything you wanted to mention about uh, your campaign, if you want to uh, put your campaign website out there or anything uh, social media-wise you want us to uh, to know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I super appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity to be on. I uh, encourage everybody to go to millerforidaho.com and you know i'm not in your guys's area one thing i encourage everybody is find people that are running for office or that are in office now that you like and get behind them with either your money your time or just sharing their stuff on social media yep absolutely uh great advice i agree all right uh mike miller thank you so much for uh talking with us today i enjoyed it thank you all right you got it take care All right, that is uh, Mike Miller, candidate for the state legislature in Idaho. Uh, Let's see. By the way, so um, (laughs) I made a reference, and uh, regular listeners uh, probably uh, caught the uh, reference. There's a certain individual whose name we don't say on the show. We simply refer to them as Mr. Krabs. But that's who I was thinking of when I uh, said to uh, Mike Miller when I said, uh, if, if you saw some of the characters we elect out here, it would blow your mind. And uh, Billy Painter confirmed in the Facebook live chat that uh, he did tell Mike about that particular individual, Mr. Krabs. Um, <laughs> Isaiah Aline says, we need more enlightened leaders. Absolutely. Uh, Crystal in the chat says, I've been told to shut up by New Hampshire's colorful elected people. We argue often in group chats. I'm apparently not allowed to care or have an opinion about my hometown or state, despite my family, including my elderly parents who still live there. Uh, that is unfortunate. Well, you always have a voice here, Crystal. Um, so what we'll do, by the way, uh, oh, one other thought too, you know, we're, I was, uh, we were talking about the, the governors in uh, the state of Illinois who ended up in prison. George Ryan in particular, Governor George Ryan, uh, that one broke my heart. Uh, I, George Ryan became a bit of a hero to me at one point because he was a Republican governor in Illinois and he put a, this was a long time ago, this was, this, this must have been in the 90s, maybe early 2000s, but I think it was all the way back in the 90s, he put a moratorium on executions in the state of Illinois. Now, he was a Republican, fairly conservative guy, and he had run for office as a uh, as being pro-death penalty. But if you're a regular or a longtime listener of the show, you might know I vehemently oppose the death penalty, always have. And um, one of the few things my father and I still agree on politically, <laughs> because he's always opposed the death penalty. 
And uh, but Governor George Ryan and and he angered uh, members of his own party when he did this. But um, what happened was, you know, these activists and others kept going to him and saying, Governor, you need to look at this. There's some real problems here. Uh, these irregularities and these trials where people are convicted of murder and then they're put on death row and and eventually executed. And uh, there's some there's some real questions. Uh, there's some incongruities in these trials. And uh, and so we have some doubts about whether uh, these people were rightly convicted and whatnot. And from what I read, he resisted it for a long time. He had always been pro-death penalty. And then he finally, somebody got through to him and he finally started poking around and looked into it. And he kind of had a moment where he, he just said, oh, my God, I did not realize how much of a problem this is. And, uh, yeah, we may have executed some people who aren't, weren't actually guilty. And he said, nope, that's it. And he put a moratorium on death penalties. I don't know if that stands to this day, and I don't know if they ever changed the law. But he said he signed an executive order at the time, and he said, no more. We're not doing this anymore. And um, this is too much of a risk to be taken with human life. We have an imperfect court system. I mean, that's my argument against it. And, uh, and he said, that's it. So he kind of became a hero to me because I've always been. So uh, the death penalty is the first issue when I was a kid. I always say I, be, I became interested in politics at an unhealthy young age. But the first issue, the first political issue that I can ever remember really getting interested in was the death penalty. And, you know, for the reasons I mentioned. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people are convicted of things they didn't actually do. It is an imperfect system because we are imperfect people. And mistakes will be made. And it's, uh, I remember having a conversation. That, I remember when I was a kid having a conversation with my dad about it because it was the first issue I really was interested in. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, you know, this doesn't make sense to me that we do this. How can we do this when we can never be completely sure that this person is guilty? It doesn't make sense to me. And my dad was like, well, Maddie, it shouldn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. It's not right. We should not be executing people. And, um, and that's something we agree on uh, to this day. Uh, my dad at one point, I don't know if he still is, there's an organization, I think it's called the New Hampshire Coalition to End the Death Penalty, perhaps. Um, and uh, my dad uh, has been a member of that. But uh, yeah. So anyway, when Governor George Ryan, who had uh, become a hero to me when, he, uh, when it turned out uh, he had been doing some uh, unethical things <laughs> and ended up in prison... Kind of bummed me out. It was like, ah, oh, damn, I looked up to this guy. <laughs> he was my hero, and now he's in prison. Well, that sucks, <laughs> but what can you do? What can you do? Um, oh, uh, Crystal says, I just Googled, no death penalty in Illinois still. That is excellent. Uh, Isaiah says, that's exactly why I'm against the death penalty. The wrong people get executed. Absolutely. Uh, Easy G Eric Agnon says, how is your dad doing? Uh, he's better. He is on the mend. He is on the road to recovery. Uh, he's at, uh, at a, uh, heart rehab in Portsmouth. So he's close to home because he lives in Dover and, uh, he may be out of there. Uh, actually he should be out of there before the end of this week, I would think. So, uh, Tom Blanchard, by the way. We got to go to break in a minute, but I want to address this. Uh, Tom raises the question, what about the people we are sure of? 
So this is an argument that I hear a lot from people who are pro-death penalty or even from people who are ambivalent about the death penalty. But I will very often hear, I think I heard Hillary Clinton even make this argument once, um, that what if we modify it so that we only execute people that we're sure are guilty? To which I say... Um, isn't that the whole point of convicting someone to begin with? If, if you're convicting someone of murder, aren't you saying with that conviction that you're sure that they did it? So if you're going to say, well, only the people that we're sure of, well, legally speaking, wouldn't that be everyone who's been convicted? Um, I mean, the whole point of convicting someone of murder isn't to say, well, we the jury, we kind of maybe think they might be guilty, so we're going to say guilty. No, you have to be sure. You have to be sure. Otherwise, you have to say not guilty. You have to be sure beyond a reasonable doubt. Isaiah says, I believe there's always reasonable doubt. Yeah. But, 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 you know, so... And then, or, or sometimes people try to get a little more nuanced with it, and they'll say, well, I think that we should repeal the death penalty except in this case and in, except in this instance and except under this circumstance and da-da-da-da-da. So next thing you know, it's like, okay, so you're not really repealing the death penalty then. If you're saying you want to repeal the death penalty, but then you've got a whole list of exceptions where you'd still use it, that's not actually repealing the death penalty. So I would rather, and by the way, I would add too, um, I have never been convinced that the death penalty is actually the greater sentence uh, versus putting someone in prison for the rest of their life. Look, this is purely anecdotal. I've never seen a survey or any data on this, but I just know from casual conversations I've had with people over the years, if I say to somebody, you know, let's say you were rightly or wrongly, Let's say you were convicted of murder. You had a choice, death penalty, or you could spend the rest of your life in prison. And let's say you're a relatively young person and the rest of your life might be several decades. What would you prefer? A lot of people have told me, well, geez, if it's going to be that, life in prison, no chance of parole for decades? Put me out of my misery, (laughs) you know? Just put me out. I don't want to deal with that. Just, you know, spare me that. So... Um, but at least if you put someone in prison for the rest of their life, at least there's a chance if something happens and it happens more and more with the advances in technology and forensic technology, not to mention people recanting testimony, confessions, people confessing to murders that they didn't actually commit because they were coerced into doing so. There's all kinds of things that happen. Look up, if you go online and look up the Innocence Project, uh, there's all kinds of of data and statistics on this. There are a lot of questionable convictions that happen. And we know for a fact that there are people on death row who probably shouldn't be there, and there are people who have been executed by our government who we find out later either, either they didn't do the murder Or there's some question about whether they did the murder. But they're dead. I mean, if someone's in prison for the rest of their life and you find out at some point 
they weren't actually guilty, at least as a process to get them out. You can never give them back all the time that they lost, and that's a tragedy. That's terrible. But at least they're not dead. At least you can get them out and give them something. At least they're not, you know, in the ground. So, uh, yeah, so I'm absolutely opposed to the death penalty, 100%. Uh, Crystal says, if you ever watch Forensic Files, there are tons of folks in jail that were innocent and proven innocent years later. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, even Sean Hannity, who I've always said has probably never had an independent thought in his life. I mean, that guy, it's his, his whole job is to just recite uh, uh, talking points every day uh, on his uh, program. But even Sean Hannity, uh, one thing I'll give him credit for, he flipped on the death penalty. He was at one time pro-death penalty. And um, Mike Farrell, who played B.J. Honeycutt on MASH, uh, after MASH was over, he got involved in some causes, and one of them is he, he got involved with the Innocence Project, trying to uh, get rid of the death penalty. And he was a guest on Hannity's show, and um, he actually got Hannity. It's remarkable, but, you know, because you, you don't expect any of these guys to ever change their minds about anything. He actually got Hannity. He, he managed to place a seed of doubt in Sean Hannity's mind. And Hannity looked into it. He followed up on what Mike Farrell was suggesting to him and actually changed his mind. And today, uh, Mike, uh, uh, today uh, Sean Hannity is opposed to the death penalty. Uh, Billy Painter says, I'm for the death penalty, but the story of George Stinney makes me sick to my stomach. I'm not familiar with who George Stinney is, uh, Billy. Um, yeah, I don't know who that is. Um, but um, there was a guy, uh, some some might remember him because he was in the Boston radio market. Um, oh, now I'm forgetting his name. What the hell was his name? He was on, uh, it's a hip-hop station now, but it used to be a talk radio station. Oh, Michael Graham. He was on in the afternoons, Michael Graham. Um, he was a conservative talk show host and he was working out of Boston at the time. And I used to listen to him occasionally. And Michael Graham was pretty consistently, well, he was, he was consistently conservative across the board. Um, and, and his show was not that interesting because fairly, he just do the same thing Hannity did. He would every day on his show, he would recite talking points and then people would call up and agree with him. Um, that's what a lot of conservative talk radio is. You have a conservative host who takes calls from conservative callers and talks to conservative guests and everybody agrees with each other and everybody congratulates each other on their uh, celebration of groupthink. Um, but Michael Graham, I learned this one day listening to his show, he was opposed to the death penalty. And, I, but I remember it was interesting hearing him talk about it. Because the way that he framed his opposition to it ideologically, it wasn't like, okay, I'm Michael Graham, I'm conservative on everything except for this one thing, on this one issue, I take a liberal position and I oppose the death penalty. No, he framed it as he felt, in his opinion, that opposing the death penalty is the correct conservative position. And he never understood why so many of his fellow conservatives were in favor of the death penalty. Because the way he looked at it was, if you are a conservative, part of what is endemic in your belief system is a skepticism and a 
distrust of government. So, therefore, in his mind, it didn't make sense to say, okay, I'm a conservative. I don't trust the government to do anything right. Government screws up everything. They botch everything. They get everything wrong. Oh, except for this one thing, except when it comes to convicting and then executing people for murder. That's the one thing the government always gets right. Yeah, nothing can go wrong there. That was how he explained it. He felt that to be consistent in his logic and reasoning as a conservative, he had to oppose the death penalty because to be in favor of it is having far too much faith and trust in government, which conservatives endemically distrust. And um, it was never an issue that he went out of his way to talk about because, um, you know, it would have been alienating to his conservative audience. But but he did talk about it one day. I think it was just because, and I happened to catch it, I think a caller had uh, asked him about it for some reason. Um, Billy says, uh, George Stinney was executed for a murder that would have been impossible for him to commit. He was only 14 years old. Oh, okay. This is sounding familiar to me now, and he did post a Wikipedia page, uh, a link there. Yeah, that does happen. Absolutely. Uh, Crystal says, similar to Emmett Till, who was falsely accused at age 14. I'll um, I'll take a look at that George Stinney link uh, later, Billy. Thank you for sharing that. I would like to learn more about that. I think it would help bolster my argument against the death penalty. But uh, there you go. Okay, so we are way past the top of the hour now, so let's take a quick break. I'm going to play something in honor of our guest. I'm going to play Private Idaho by the B-52s. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to show some love to our amazing sponsors here. And then we will be back with uh, what time we have left on today's program. More Matt Connerton Unleashed coming up. Don't go away. Welcome back. We are way in hour number two, numero dos of Matt Connerton Unleashed. And we are live from the cold uh, studios here in downtown Manchester. A little chilly here today, but it's very cold outside. <laughs> we are live from the studios of WMNH 95.3 FM. And of course, on Comcast 97, if you are in Manchester, uh, of course, uh, hello to all of our online listeners across the nation and around the globe. You can go to my website, mattconnerton.com, for all of your live streaming options, social media links, contact info, show archives, etc., etc. Today is Tuesday, January 18, 2022. If you're just tuning in and you're wondering where is Mike Sutterth, because he's typically here in the second hour on Tuesdays for his weekly Tweakonomics segment. But this week, Mike will be coming in tomorrow uh, for that because he's got a big show tonight at the Shaskeen, and apparently he is playing for about three hours. So uh, if you're going to play a three-hour show, you need a little bit of time to prepare for that. So 
Uh, he messaged me earlier and asked me if we could bump his segment to tomorrow for this week, and I said, absolutely not a problem. Uh, so Mike Sutterth will be here tomorrow, but if you want to check him out tonight at the Shaskeen, of course, he'll be performing as his, I assume, his alter ego, Grant Lampton. Uh, earlier in the show, if you missed it, we talked with Mike Miller, who is a uh, candidate for the legislature out in Idaho, and uh, I enjoyed uh, talking with him a lot. You know, we uh, agree on some things, we disagree on some others, but uh, I really enjoyed the dialogue. And uh, thank you again, uh, thank you to Mike for joining us, and thank you to our friend Billy Painter from Outlaw Radio uh, for uh, connecting us, and uh, that was great. Uh, let's see. I do want to remind you, of course, we are proudly sponsored by the Hopknot. But don't go there today. Monday and Tuesday is their weekend. But go there tomorrow. They are open Wednesday through Sunday. They've got delicious gourmet pretzels. They have craft beer. They've got trivia night every Thursday night, hosted by the great Bill Cini, who, of course, also does trivia on the morning show on Wednesdays. Uh, Friday night, they have live music. They've got a lot coming up. They have very much planned for 2022. And we are so honored and proud and privileged to have them as a sponsor. The Hop Knot on Elm. Please patronize them if you would. Uh, let's see. We've got about a half hour left. So if you'd like to get in with a call, uh, 603-250-6007 is the number. 603-250-6007. You can also text me at 617-917-4476. Tweet me at Matt Connerton or send an email to Matt at mattconnerton.com. And, of course, you can interact and opine in the Facebook live chat. But the best thing to do, of course, is to give us a call at 603-250-6007. Let's see. By the way, uh, Nemi in the uh, chat room says, uh, yeah, the temp plummeted with the sun today. Damn. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, the sun went down and uh, it, it it really got cold. It really got cold. Uh, Tomorrow on the show, by the way, we're going to do the, uh, in addition to Mike Sutterth being here, uh, the world radio premiere of uh, the song from our friend uh, Isaiah Aline, who, of course, is the, uh, as you know, the Illuminati candidate in 2024 for the presidency. And I am uh, under consideration to be his running mate. But tomorrow we will be giving the world radio premiere to his new song, Save the Piano. So uh, we can look forward to that as well. Uh, Crystal says, we had the Arctic temps here a few days ago. Now it's 44 degrees. Then supposed to get Arctic again in a few days. Uh, my RA is not happy, is not a happy camper with these inconsistent temperatures. RA, oh, I assume uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Yes, yes, absolutely. The just because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. The steak, egg, and cheese bagel is back at McDonald's. Order ahead on the app and pick up curbside. Price and participation may vary. McD app download and registration required. Um... I did see a few minutes ago pop up, there continues to be this worry about uh, Russia potentially invading Ukraine. I'm still skeptical that this is going to happen. But um, now the concern is, and this is uh, coming from Axios, U.S. warns Russia may attack Ukraine from Belarus. Apparently there are some military exercises going on there. 
Um, it says here the U.S. believes that Russia may use joint military exercises inside Belarus as cover for an invasion of Ukraine from the north, according to a senior State Department official. Uh, new deployments to the Belarus-Ukraine border in the coming weeks, in addition to the 100,000 Russian troops. That is stunning. I didn't actually know it was that many. 100,000 Russian troops already encircling Ukraine from the northeast and south could allow Russia to open up a new front less than 100 miles from the uh, Ukrainian capital, Kiev. Uh, it would also position Russian troops close to the borders of NATO members Poland, Lithuania, and Latvia. Uh, the senior State Department official told reporters, quote, I think that we should be concerned, what we should be concerned about is not whether it increases the intent uh, to attack, but whether or not it increases the capability and their ability to launch that invasion of Ukraine with an intent to topple the government. Uh, what I know about the Kremlin and what I know about President Putin is that he is an opportunist and he creates opportunities. And so it is incredibly important that when we see these kinds of movements and when there is a concrete change in capabilities, that we acknowledge it and call it for what it is. Unquote. Yeah. <laughs> it's not terribly reassuring, is it? Uh, Belarus dictator Alexander Lyshenko has clung to power over the last year and a half thanks to the support of Russia after his crackdown on nationwide protests led to Western sanctions and international isolation. Uh, so that State Department official also said, quote, we know that Putin doesn't give that support for free. It's clear Russia is preying Lukashenko's on vulnerability. Um, that's awkwardly worded. Oh, I think it's a typo. I think it's supposed to be, it's clear that Russia is preying on uh, Lukashenko's vulnerability. Someone's dyslexic at uh, Axios. Uh, and he is calling in some of those accumulated IOUs, unquote. Mm. Sorry, I really need a sip of water here. It's very dry in here. Mm. Uh, the official suggested that Lukashenko may not even be a part of the decision-making on how Russian troops are using Belarus territory and that he has sacrificed his claim as, quote, the guarantor of Belarus's sovereignty and independence, unquote, for the last 27 years in a desperate bid to stay in power. Russia continues to deny that it is planning to invade Ukraine while threatening unspecified action if the U.S. and NATO don't agree to a set of demands, including ruling out NATO membership for Ukraine. <clears throat> And by the way, that's been the big uh, sticking point here, right? Uh, but but what is Putin really up to? Because obviously, when Putin continues to demand that the United States and that President Biden agrees uh, not to ever uh, bring Ukraine into NATO, that's a non-starter. We cannot and we never will allow any foreign power to dictate who is allowed and is not allowed in the club. So, um, obviously, Putin knows that. So, the warning about Belarus is the latest example of the Biden administration urgently sounding the alarm about the possibility of an imminent Russian invasion. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters today that the U.S. believes, quote, this is an extremely dangerous situation. We are now at a stage where Russia could at any point launch an attack, unquote. 
Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken plans to travel to Kiev and Berlin this week before heading to Geneva on Friday for a meeting with his Russian counterpart. Yeah, so he is meeting, uh, Blinken is meeting uh, at the end of the week with, uh, I forget the gentleman's name. Uh, it's a Russian guy, so it's probably uh, Andre something. But uh, <laughs> so he is traveling there to meet with his Russian counterpart, and hopefully something comes from that. I still, I remain, despite all of these moves, I believe, this is my theory, that the reason Putin is ratcheting uh, ratcheting up these um, provocative movements with the troops and the exercises and using Belarus the way that he is, is to, um, you know, is, is, is to continue to, to, to carry on this facade that he's about to invade when I honestly don't think that he is. And I don't think that he is because um, it would be a, a disaster for Russia. Uh, the uh, Ukrainian military has been propped up by us, and it's not going to be, they're not going to be able to roll on the rest of Ukraine the way they did on Crimea. And they must know that. So Putin is obviously after, and Putin knows, again, he can't get that commitment from us that Ukraine will never be a part of NATO, but that is a crisis, a conundrum of Putin's own making because there had not been any suggestion that Ukraine was ready to become a part of NATO. That has never been a discussion. And how would that even work when part of Ukraine specifically Crimea, is already occupied by Russia. So this is also, Putin is playing some, some sort of game here. But I don't believe he's actually going to invade, and I really hope I'm right. Isaiah says, I believe Putin and Biden are working together to convince the American people to keep our defense budgets up. Well, you know, <laughs> not, not, uh, well, it's not as, not as crazy as it sounds. I mean, I don't believe that Putin and Biden are actually secretly working together, but it certainly does. You know, war is our greatest export, and we have a lot of defense contractors and whatnot, you know, Raytheon and uh, Boeing and others who who depend on uh, on that money, uh, on that, that military budget of the United States. So, I mean, I'm somewhat of... Uh, two minds on that, or perhaps even three minds. I think that it is very important to have a strong defense and we have to stay ahead of the game militarily. Some though, however, make the argument that if you look at, if you compare the military budget of the United States to the rest of the world, uh, it is exponentially larger than whoever is a second behind us who may in fact be Russia. So if you look at it that way, it looks like we spend an inordinate amount of money, well, we do spend an inordinate, inordinate amount of money in contrast with the rest of the world. Our military budget dwarfs everybody else. How could we possibly need all that military power? Then again, you have other countries. My biggest worry militarily with other countries is the development of these hypersonic missiles. Hypersonic, meaning they can travel faster than the speed of sound. And Putin a few years ago, claimed, and I, I think this was kind of dismissed. There was a lot of skepticism at the time, but Putin was claiming to have that Russia had a hypersonic weapon. 
Now, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But even if they don't, I guarantee you they're working on it. China might have that. I say might. North Korea might have that. So, you know, the world is, I mean, I hate to be pessimistic and negative, but the world is uh, uh, becoming more dangerous in that way. <clears throat> um, I was, uh, let's see. I saw something with uh, former ambassador John Bolton was saying that um, he thinks we should be more aggressive. Well, of course, Bolton's always going to say that. But he thinks we should be more aggressive in terms of uh, turning off the uh, pipeline that the Russians depend on. Um, looking to see if I can find that. But... Uh, he believes that Putin believes, and there may be something to this, that uh, Putin thinks he can play Biden. Um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to find that specific uh, piece that I was looking for. But um, no, it's, it's a dangerous situation, and we already know that we're not going to act uh, militarily. Um, but uh, that will continue to unfold. Let's, um, I want to get in one other thing, though. So this just, uh, it's funny, Jenny and I were talking about this earlier in the car, and then this happens. Uh, this is from uh, businessinsider.com. The Biden administration is buying 1 billion rapid COVID-19 test kits to give Americans for free. Here's how to get one. Uh, the Biden administration is buying, uh, is buying these. The U.S. Postal Service today, so this just happened. Uh, today launched a website in beta form where people can order the tests. And uh, Jenny went online and did that. Uh, beginning uh, two days ago, as of or three days ago, as of January 15, the administration now requires that insurers reimburse uh, for rapid test kits. So the administration is uh, is purchasing one billion of these. Uh, to distribute to Americans at no cost in response to a rise in cases spurred in part by the highly contagious Omicron variant. The Postal Service, which is distributing the tests, launched its website today. While the site is operating at a limited capacity because it is in beta, ahead of a full launch tomorrow, orders are being accepted. The official White House website where Americans can order tests, covidtests.gov, is set to go fully live on the 19th, so that'll be tomorrow. Um, so you can go to, if you want to do this, go to covidtests.gov and, uh, they are expected to ship in seven to 12 days. Orders placed on the U S postal service website today, uh, said the tests would begin to ship in late January, late January. Um, so it, it goes on from there, but, um, you know, Jenny was, if you're here in New Hampshire, of course, you can order them right from the state. But I just, uh, you know, it's frustrating that we're so behind on this. Testing continues to be a major uh, a major problem in this country. But, but at least there's, you know, there's something being done about it. Uh, Easy G in the chat room says, uh, if North Korea missiles were good, they would not keep testing them. <laughs> well, I don't think that's quite how it works, Eric. 
Testing is one thing. I just don't want them to launch one at us. Oh, boy. Uh, 603-250-6007 is the number if you'd like to join us. Uh, we have a little bit of time left in today's show. 603-250-6007. One other thing, I I did want to get to this because this is uh, pretty interesting to me. So, you know, we've heard a lot about 5G, and part of why we've heard a lot about 5G recently is, uh, and by recently, I really mean, I guess, over the last couple of years, is not only because, you know, as technology continues to advance and evolve and expand, Uh, 5G will be even faster and better than 4G and so on. Um, But uh, we also have heard a lot about 5G in regard to uh, COVID and vaccines and whatnot, because, you know, the conspiracy theorists, of course, will tell you that if you get vaccinated, now you've got a, I don't know, a 5G microchip or whatever the hell these people believe. Anyway, so we've heard a lot about 5G, but there's been a new wrinkle with 5G. Uh, This is from... uh, Reuters, AT&T and Verizon will delay some 5G deployment amid aviation standoff. So what has happened is, so you have uh, these 5G towers that are supposed to become fully operational, and um, the airlines are claiming that if these go live the ones that are near airports within a certain distance of airports, it's going to directly interfere with what is called an altimeter. And I don't know much about aviation, but apparently pilots rely on the altimeter to help them land in bad weather. Say there's fog, they can't see, etc. And there is a concern that 5G is going to directly interfere. In other words, these planes, there's going to be a safety issue with these planes landing and taking off because of 5G, allegedly. Now, they already have 5G in Europe, and they haven't had any problems with the planes. But I guess for some reason, these uh, the, the 5G here is going to be even stronger, and the airlines are saying, whoa, uh, we're going to have to cancel thousands of flights over this. I think I would have to file this under... Hey, why didn't anybody think of this already? (laughs) Uh, This is really pretty stunning. Doesn't this kind of seem like something somebody should have thought about and maybe discussed? But somehow, here we are, uh, and uh, this is about to go live, and the airlines are saying, we're going to have to cancel thousands of flights if you do this. So it says here, Again, this is from Reuters. AT&T and Verizon today agreed to temporarily defer turning on some wireless towers near key airports to revert to avert rather a significant disruption to US flights. President Biden hailed the agreement saying it quote will avoid potentially devastating disruptions to passenger travel, cargo operations, and our economic recovery while allowing more than 90% of wireless tower deployment to occur as scheduled, unquote. So 90% of the wireless towers, these 5G towers in the country, will uh, go forth as planned, as intended, but the other 10% apparently are too close to airports. And... Uh, we are averting a calamitous disaster. 
again, it just seems odd to me. Nobody thought of this already, if this is a, a genuinely a problem. So it says the carriers and the administration have agreed to work together to quickly address the issues and create a process to allow the remaining towers to be deployed, sources briefed on the matter said. Biden said he had instructed officials to find, quote, a permanent workable solution around these key airports, unquote. The Federal Aviation Administration is worried that 5G wireless interference could affect sensitive airplane instruments such as radio altimeters and significantly hamper low visibility operations. The FAA said it anticipated, despite the announcement, quote, there will be some impacts uh, due to the limitations of some radio altimeters, unquote. This is the third time, I didn't know this, this is the third time that AT&T and Verizon agreed to delay deployment of the new C-band 5G wireless service. The companies in November postponed deployment by 30 days until January 5, earlier this month. They again agreed to delay deployment until January 19. See, I didn't know any of this was going on. Details of the latest agreement were not disclosed, but airlines in recent days had proposed temporarily not deploying just under 10% of towers or about 500, sources told Reuters. Nearly all but a handful of the impacted sites are Verizon towers. Still, the FAA and airlines must grapple with how to resolve the concerns permanently, especially since AT&T and Verizon earlier agreed to take some measures to reduce interference for six months. So, so this is something, so, so how do we get to this point? Because apparently this is something people thought of. This is a concern that's been raised and discussed. So they just delay and delay and delay without fixing anything or figuring anything out? And it's still not clear to me why uh, 5G is online in Europe near airports and there's no problem. So why is it a problem here? What is different? Uh, despite the agreement, major foreign carriers, including Air India and Japan's biggest airline, ANA Holdings, said they had canceled some U.S.-bound flights because of possible 5G interference. By the way, uh, this is already a huge problem, flights being canceled. You know, you've got... All kinds of issues like flight crews, uh, all coming down with COVID, for example, or quitting. <laughs> because who wants to be a flight attendant in this era? You know, you you you're doing your job. You're a flight attendant. You're uh, you know uh, doing the whole thing with the hands and showing people where the exits are and where their uh, life preserver is and the thing that uh, you know the mask that drops out of the ceiling if there's a loss in cabin pressure and all that you know it's time for everybody to eat you know you got the cart you're pushing the cart down down the middle there giving people their food next thing you know you're in a fist fight with some anti-masker who decides to throw a temper tantrum in the middle of the flight and who wants to deal with that Jeez, no wonder people they call it the great resignation i'm sure uh some of these people are probably people who work in the airline industry who are just like yeah we've had enough um, 
ANA said on its website it had canceled some Boeing 777 flights after Boeing, quote, announced flight restrictions on all airlines operating the Boeing 777 aircraft, unquote. Boeing did not immediately comment. Airlines are still likely to cancel some additional flights in the coming hours as they wait to, for formal guidance from regulators on the announcements from Verizon and AT&T. They warned Monday of catastrophic impacts. Airlines are concerned that the issue could prevent them from flying Boeing 777s and other wide-body jets to many key airports. The chief executives of major U.S. passenger and cargo carriers on Monday said new 5G service could render a significant number of wide-body aircraft unusable. Quote, could potentially strand tens of thousands of Americans overseas, unquote, and cause chaos for U.S. flights. The airlines asked Sunday, quote, that 5G be implemented everywhere in the country except within the approximate two miles of airport runways at some key airports, unquote. Verizon's rollout plan is much more aggressive than AT&T's. It is significantly impacted by the Biden administration request to delay using some towers near airport runways. AT&T and Verizon won significant uh, C-band spectrum in the $80 billion auction last year. Verizon chief executive Hans Vestberg, what a cool name, told employees on January 4 the carriers saw no aviation safety issues with 5G and has resisted prior delays, officials told Reuters. Now, before we run out of time, watch how I tie what uh, the last couple of subjects together. Because <laughs> North Korea recently um recently did one of their test launches and uh and caused uh airplanes to uh well here here it is this is from time.com north korean missile test prompts faa to briefly ground some us flights <laughs> Uh, this, uh, this happened a number of days ago, uh, flights out of some airports on the U S West coast were br briefly halted by aviation regulators as a precaution on Monday after North Korea launched a high speed missile, uh, test the so-called ground stop, which paused departures from an unspecified number of airports lasted less than 15 minutes. North Korea's missile flew at almost 10 times the speed of sound. In other words, it's hypersonic, uh, into waters off of its eastern coast, ratcheting up tensions in the region and with the U.S. So there you go. So now, if you work in the airline industry, you're on the airplane, um, you're doing the thing with the, you know, you're showing everybody where the exits are, you're, uh, you got the cart with the food, you're doing blah, blah, blah. You're trying not to get into a fist fight with a, uh, a passenger who's freaking out because they, they don't want to wear their mask and they, uh, you know, they think it's a conspiracy or whatever. And then in the middle of all that, you find out that uh, uh, World War III has broken out and uh, North Korea is uh, firing hypersonic missiles at us. I mean, can you imagine? I, I would not want that job. Uh, Tom Blanchard in the crap in the... Uh, in the uh, Facebook live chat says two miles, including two miles up, referring to the uh, 
you know, uh, the, the administration asking uh, Verizon and AT&T to delay turning on those towers within the uh, two miles. Uh, Crystal in the chat says, 5G sounds like the new Y2K frenzy. Remember that craziness? Hopefully nothing happens with 5G, just like nothing happened with Y2K. I remember that vividly. I do. I would not have wanted to, and I'm, you know, I'm not one to just buy into these uh, things, but I have to admit, I would not have wanted to be in an airplane uh, during the, uh, the, the the flip of the odometer to uh, the year 2000. I, I would have been a little concerned about that, but, but of course, everyone I know, or everyone I knew at the time who I would talk to about that, uh, about uh, Y2K, they would just look at me like, you know, anybody who was in, say, computer programming, anybody who really knew anything about technology would kind of look at me like, uh, come on, dude, you, you don't think anybody's thought about this already? Probably the same thing with the 5G. You know, I'm sure it's it's all been uh, discussed and considered, but uh, hopefully you're right, Crystal. Hopefully you're right. All right, we are uh, just about out of time, but uh, thank you all for joining me today, and thank you again to Mike Miller, who is a uh, candidate for the legislature in Idaho uh, for calling in earlier. I enjoyed that discussion. Don't forget, tomorrow on the show, we will be joined in the second hour by Mike Sutterth for his weekly Tweakonomics segment. And in the first hour, I'm going to give you the debut, the world radio premiere of Isaiah Aline's new song, Save the Piano. And I think that's a message we can all get behind. You got to save the piano. There you go. If there was a piano here, we got a uh, like a, a turntable over there in the corner. You can't see it if you're watching online. But uh, if we had a piano in here, I'd be saying, hey, save the piano. I'm reminded of a Jackson Brown song all of a sudden. Anyway, I don't, I don't know if anyone will get the reference or not. But uh, we're going to get out of here. If you missed any part of today's show, it will be up in just a little bit at WMNHradio.org. And at my website, MattConnerton.com. We'll leave you with one more Idaho song. This is a nice song. This is Idaho from Josh Ritter. And uh, that's going to do it for me for now. Stay warm, everybody. It's chilly out there if you're in Manchester. And I will talk. Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. The Just Because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. The steak, egg, and cheese bagel is back at McDonald's. Order ahead on the app and pick up curbside. Price and participation may vary. McD app download and registration required.